You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. At least in my opinion, I'm not a huge fan of the November pre-Thanksgiving snow. What are your thoughts, Jake? I just want to go home. Like, this is just making us stay longer, making everyone move slower. Everything's getting delayed and canceled. But I'm glad it happened now that classes, well, most classes were not canceled because it didn't stop the classes much before uh, 2.30 was the time they officially announced classes were canceled. But, you know, in two days, I won't have to worry about it here. I might have to worry about it up north, but I don't have to worry about it here. Well, that's good. I mean, for you, did you have any classes canceled? I had nope. my classes in the morning, yeah, so it didn't I, affect I me. I only had one class today anyway, Same. but yeah, my uh, mine started at Just not a day you want to go out and do anything. Nope. Uh, but you do you do want to get inside here at the studio. I actually had my friends drop me off, which is pretty pathetic because I live, as you know, Jake, like steps yeah. from here. But it's cold and it's gross. I don't have my snow boots with me at school yet because it's November 15th. And that's yeah, something you that you bring it. back with you after Thanksgiving. Yeah. You, you weren't also expecting it to be this gross and this snowy right, and Right, right. Everybody was saying a little bit of a of a misting wintry mix we'd get a little dusting and that would be it and that's what it kind of looked like at least earlier on this morning coming out of my first class and mm-hmm. then it just lays lays itself on us so that's where we're at with the weather outside here in newark uh, but a lot of exciting things on the hard court and on the gridiron and that's where we'll start today with delaware football they're seven and three and five and two in caa play after last week's loss to stony brook 17 to three jake you were up there Give me just kind of your synopsis, your quick takeaway, your impressions from that game against Stony Brook. It was like the second half of William and Mary two years ago, but just the played out in the final entire Dave game. Brock game. Yep, but just played out in an entire game of play. It was brutal. Yeah, which is pathetic. You had missed kicks left and right, and I was sitting with my dad next to it, and after he missed the second kick, he kind of turned to me and he's like. Wasn't this the guy who had a 50-something yarder here and, like, the best kicker in the CIA? I was like, yeah, yeah I mean, that is him. And I don't know what's wrong with him, but he's missed the step this year. Uh, and the offense was just so absolutely terrible. The defense was good. I mean, 17 points. They really didn't get gashed for anything. Uh, later in the game, Leotian kind of took over because mm-hmm. everybody was tired because the defense was on the field so much. But it was just a, it was just a bad game. Yeah, I don't know if... If you got a chance or if our listeners got a chance to hear my thoughts on the Delaware football roundup, but that's something that I talked about where right early on it seems the defense was holding up. They make that stop on fourth and two, a nice play by Ray Jones. There's the interception by Adderley. But at some point you're going to need your offense to put up something. You're not going to be able to stop Donald Leotine and Jordan Gowans in the nature that the defense did in the first quarter throughout the entirety of the game. And you would have liked to stop them a little bit more than Delaware did. They gave up 222 rushing yards and... 140, or excuse me, 170, I think, to Donald Leotine, 27 carries for him. So that is the best performance by a running back against Delaware this season, and you'd like them to do a little bit better against the run. But for me, it comes to the offense, like you said. Packy Hill, 9 for 27 passing in the game, less than 200 passing yards for the second straight week on the road. Um, You know, people, I think, might point to the weather and the wind as part of it, and that's certainly a factor. But Joe Carbone completed more than half of his passes on the other side for Stony Brook. How do you evaluate Pat Kehoe individually in the game against the Seawolves? I think the play calling and the decision making were pretty bad. Um, I think that um, 
they brought Joe Walker in a lot, and I never am bashing that idea. I don't think bringing Joe Walker in a lot is ever and will ever be a bad thing because, as we say every single time for our Delaware big facts, Delaware keys to the game, Delaware this, Delaware that, just get the ball in Joe Walker's hands. But there were some plays where they brought Joe Walker into the backfield on third and ten. And sure, if you're running a drive with Joe Walker, keep him in there. But these are drives where you didn't get anything on first and second down with Joe Walker read options. He's not going to throw you. You can't tell me that he's going to be better at throwing 10 yards than Pat Kehoe is. So I don't really like the personnel sometimes, the play calling. Um, there was none of Jamie Jarman. I don't know if that was still he's due in, to injury. Injured, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he was still due to injury, so he was out for that game. But there was just nothing. Charles Scarf did the best that he can to try and salvage some offensive plays. They ran that fly route. I think three times to perfection. I wish they did it more. But is it a big deal? No, but it's definitely a big slowing point for the offense. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Jake Lampert on Brandon Hovick. So now as we look at the Villanova matchup, and we will discuss the stakes of this game as well, but starting first with the play on the field, first and foremost for this Delaware team, what would you like to see change from this offense that now, in my opinion, has really struggled in two straight contests? They definitely struggled against Stony Brook, against Albany. They put together that last-minute scoring drive, but it was really a rough performance against a not-very-good Great Danes team. What has to change as they come back to Delaware Stadium against Villanova? More running. They need to run the ball more. I think Lee did a good job at the start of the Stony Brook game to kind of establish himself as the running back of the day. Uh, I'm not saying he's the running back of the year, but for the running back of the day, Lee looked a lot better. Um, I was going to ask you about that. So it's something yeah. that I've been asked about. You know, why hasn't Kanai Kane found his footing? Why didn't he play as much against Stony? Brook? Leaders look better. Uh, the first two or three drives, Lee had one really nice cut for a ten yard gain, and then he was down a play, and then he had another ten yard gain. He just looked better. Um, they brought Kanai Kane in for the situations you needed him in third and one, third and two, uh, goal line stands. Sometimes you need a guy, the guy to push through. Um, but he was just the better fit. In the windy weather, it was also nice to have a quick rusher. So if you needed to get a pass play off to the side, um, it's very unpredictable for the defense, but I think Leeds just look better. They need to run the ball more, especially against Villanova. Uh, they're not going to dictate your game pace, so Delaware needs to dictate the game pace, and I think they need to go on the ground. And that's somewhere that Delaware struggled this season, especially when we compare it to the Blue Hens' performance in each of the past two seasons where they were second in the CIA in rushing this year. It seems they haven't established the run in as many games as they have, or excuse me, have not been able to establish it in more games than they've been able to establish it. And at times, Pat Kehoe is able to put together a performance like he had against Towson, where he throws for 300 yards and they're able to come through with the win, or the defense puts on a big enough performance like we saw against New Hampshire that it doesn't necessarily really matter. But I agree with you, in this game against Villanova, it seems like the Wildcats, at the very least, aren't going to give Delaware this win. That Delaware is going to have to go earn it. And the way we've seen Pat Kehoe play the past two weeks, I would feel, you know, there's a better chance that it's the running game that is able to establish itself and win the day for Delaware than perhaps Kehoe at this point, given what he's looked like in the passing game has looked like in the past two weeks. Yeah, they. I don't want to say they need to rewrite the playbook because we're at the last game of the season in the CAA. This is not time to rewrite the playbook. But when you look back at the Stony Brook game, like I mentioned, there were some plays where Joe Walker was out there on third and five deep in your own territory that Joe Walker should not be under center for. And he was running RPOs. He was 
running QB draws. Well, not even, I wouldn't even say RPO. A lot of it is just very yeah, basic there's, there's elementary no read option. Yeah, it, it's, it's not RO a, and in parentheses it's a, P it, in the middle. It's, it's, it's your regular read option where you isolate the edge defender and he's reading that guy. He's either going to hand it to the running back up the middle if that guy stays home and protects the edge or he's going to pull it out himself and try to get the corner if that guy commits to the running back. That's, to me, not a creative enough play to best utilize the talents of both Walker and the running backs. Like, a lot of the time when those wildcat-type packages are effective, it's because you get the defense's eyes one place and you run misdirection another way. And when you're just, like you said, lining up Walker behind center as in shotgun with one running back to his right and running read option— that's a play that college defenses more often than not are suited to defend against, and it doesn't get Walker a lot of space, and it doesn't allow him to take advantage of his athleticism. Yeah, there were a few opportunities that Walker kind of stood himself up and looked to pass, um, but on 3rd and 10, Joe Walker's not passing the football. There were times where they cleared the backfield. I don't know if he was just acting, doing his best acting job to try and get people to bite on the pass attempt, but there were times where he stood up, and all I thought to myself was, there's no way this ends well. Um, he didn't attempt to pass, thankfully. He kept the ball to himself and ran for one or two yards. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of hypocritical because we talk every day about putting the ball in Joe Walker's hands because good things happen. But I think we're kind of pushing it towards the – we should kind of rephrase ourselves to throw the ball to Joe Walker or hand it off to Joe Walker instead of let Joe Walker dictate what happens on him under center. I agree with that. Right, decision-making Joe Walker is a different animal the past couple of seasons than what they've been able to get out of him this year – I want to see him in space when we talk about using Jim Walker's screen passes to the edge, the jet action getting him to the edge, those read option plays if he can get the corner and running maybe triple option with the motion man that gives him the option to pitch or keep after the initial read to the running back. Things of that nature I think could do a better job of best utilizing his talents and could give the offense a kickstart that it probably needs. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. So the, the stakes of this game, it's something that we've talked about all through the season. Delaware is trying to get to that eight-win total. It's a mark in which no CAA team since the playoffs moved to their current format in 2013 has been left out of the playoffs with. Now, there are a lot of teams in the CAA in a similar position to Delaware, and there could be as many as six teams vying for a playoff spot after this weekend from the conference. Rocco said Monday, and I thought this was interesting, that he believes there will be a CAA team to make the playoffs with seven wins based off what the other conferences are doing right now. The Missouri Valley, which is typically considered 1B to to the CAA being 1A as far as the best conferences in the FCS, only has three teams that could get to seven wins and potentially would just have two playoff teams. And a few of the other conferences where you typically see two or three playoff teams have been a little bit weaker this season. So he said that he thinks there's a chance a seven-win CAA team would make the playoffs. So when we look at this game, it's a win and make it in. It's a lose and put yourself on the bubble. I guess it's not necessarily a lose and fall out of the playoff picture. But if you're Delaware, you certainly, especially knowing what happened last season, want to control your fate. When you look at Selection Sunday, you want to put yourself into the tournament and not rely on the teams around you to lose to give you a shot at making that playoff tournament. If Delaware loses to Villanova, everybody in their mind should think no playoffs. If you get it, congratulations. We're politely surprised. Um, but after last year's loss to Villanova, 
I hope the team kind of understands and has a different fire lit under them that 28 to 7 uh is not a score that you want to see. Um and I don't think I don't think they're going to see it. I think they're a better team than they were last year especially in this position. But if they lose this game, I would be pretty much sold that they're not going to make the playoffs for a second consecutive year uh with a 7-1 record. And they've had opportunities to to control their own fate to to make it in, and if they win, they will be in. And if they win, they actually have a chance of still being CAA champion. Too. Yeah, there's there's some math that'll put them there. Um, so right now Maine leads the CAA. They have one more win than Delaware does in conference play. If they beat Elon this weekend, Maine will be the CAA champion. But that's not a guarantee. Elon's a very good team. They are a team that's gotten very uh high praise as far as the FCS stats top twenty five poll goes, and that first release of the playoff committee's rankings about three weeks ago. They've been favorable, favorably considered uh, as far as those rankings go compared to where they've kind of actually fallen out in the CAA standing. So if Elon beats Maine, then the door is open for Delaware to be CAA champion should they beat Villanova. Now, there are a lot of teams that could tie Delaware with six wins, but Delaware holds tiebreakers over most of those teams should there be James Madison, Towson, Stony Brook, with Delaware at the top of the CIA with six conference wins. They'd all be co-champions, but Delaware, in most cases, three of the four cases, would be the automatic bid to the playoffs and likely get a first-round bye. So that's the benefit of winning this game and having a few other teams help you. But like you said, Jake, if you lose this game, you're on the bubble, and I don't think anybody would feel sorry for you if you didn't make the playoffs because this game against Villanova, unlike last week, is one that you should handle. You're at home against a team that has just one CIA win. Last week, Stony Brook was ranked just a spot below you in the national rankings, right? That was a good Stony Brook team at home. You wanted to play that game closer than it was. You wanted to be competitive, and if you won it, you'd feel really good about your chances at a CIA championship heading into this weekend. But this is the one of those two that you really feel like Delaware should win. If they lose against Villanova, scrap it. Don't even look at the rankings. We'll see you all next season for Blue Man football. It's, it's ridiculous that... After the streak we had in the in the middle of the year, beating Elon, given injuries, we beat Elon. We beat Towson. At that point after we beat Towson, we were on cloud nine. We were like, you know what? Let's just win one and call it a day. Let's just win two and call it a day. But now we're worried about Villanova on the last game of the season because we couldn't get it done against Stony Brook. We couldn't get it done in the beginning of the year against Rhode Island. That Rhode Island game is going to be our biggest regret because we're going to look at it and say, oh, we needed one more win. Get Rhode Island, the worst-rated team in the preseason polls, and they beat you pretty bad, to be totally honest with you. not The score doesn't show it, but on the field it did. So don't beat Villanova. Don't meet the playoffs. Well, and I don't, I still – like I think there is a chance they, they will. I wouldn't say it's no, a I, promise. I, I think it's possible, but I think yeah, mor- like morale-wise, morale, morale if you lose to Villanova, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We're going to get it. We yeah, should probably we get might, it. We don't deserve yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're a fan, okay – if you walk away from that game Saturday afternoon and they've lost, you know, tune in on Sunday and see if they've made the playoffs because they still have a chance. Um, but if you're a player, you should feel pretty darn defeated that you, the team can't beat Villanova, that the team didn't get to that eight-win mark based on the talent that's left. And something else to consider, if you look at offense and defense real quick before we go to break, this team is losing a little over half of its starters due to graduation after this season. None of the 26 seniors on this Delaware team 
have ever beaten Villanova. Villanova's won 11 of the past 12 meetings against Delaware. If that doesn't get you fired up to come out here and step on them early, I don't know what does. Because none of these guys have made the playoffs in their tenure here. And for the size and scope of this school, Delaware, compared to its CAA competition and compared to the FCS competition, there's no excuse for a seven-year playoff drought. And these guys are a part of it. For three years for a lot of them, four years for others, they have not made the playoffs. They have an opportunity to not only make the playoffs, but to also get that win against Villanova that's eluded them for so long this weekend at home. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. And it's time to transition back to Delaware football for our big facts of the week. I prepared three of them that I'll run off of Jake and Nick to get their thoughts. Kind of catered this first one toward something we talked about earlier and Packy Ho struggling the past couple of games. And I just went through real basically and broke down his stats this season in terms of their wins and their losses. So take this as you will, obviously you'd consider their quarterback of a good team to perform better in wins than losses. But in Delaware's wins this season, Kehoe is averaging 220 passing yards per game. He's completed 54% of his passes. And this is the big one to me. 15 touchdowns in Delaware's wins to just two interceptions. When we look at Delaware's three losses, including the game against Stony Brook last weekend, Eho averaging just 133 passing yards per game, nearly 100 passing yards less. He's completing just 41% of his passes, and he has just two touchdowns in those three losses to four interceptions. What do you make of that first hashtag big fact pertaining to Pat Kehoe and the Blue Hens going into this weekend's game against Villanova? The most alarming thing to me is just looking at the difference between the wins and losses, as you said, his stats, when Delaware wins, his stats are you know really good. And then when they lose, they're abysmal. And I think that just goes to show that when Delaware loses, the games aren't even close. And I think you know if they were losing close games and his stats and the losses were a little bit better, I think that would look better on his end. But it just shows that when Delaware loses, it's usually not pretty because Kehoe has not been playing pretty well, and the stats definitely show it. This almost shows me more on the defensive end that Kehoe being so bad in losses might be bailing this defense out because there were games where the defense got crushed. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm going to pick Dakota State. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I'm yeah. going to pick a yeah. really bad example because <laughs> of how good they are. But North Dakota State. No, and then defense played made mistakes against Rhode Island too. Yeah, Rhode Island. They made mistakes. North, uh, North Dakota State made mistakes. Richmond, they made mistakes. They got gashed against uh, Richmond. By a backup quarterback. By a backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um. So this kind of almost bails the defense out that Pacquiao has been so bad in losses that we're not even focused on the times the defense did it. So moral of the story, it's all on Pacquiao for these next game, hopefully games, yeah. uh, but at least this next game. And we talked about it off the top of the show too. Perhaps you can help Kehoe and the offense out a little bit by establishing a little bit more of the running action, which we haven't seen in the past couple of weeks. On a more positive note, the second big fact is just Troy Reader's absolutely incredible stat line this season. He has 106 total tackles heading into this weekend's game, so 10.6 per game. That leads the CAA. He's fourth in the conference with 11 tackles for a loss, two sacks. He's got a fumble recovery, a blocked punt, an interception. Troy Reader, who will have a chance at an NFL career this spring, doing a lot. He didn't have the best game against Stony Brook for Delaware, but before that, a run where he was having 15 tackles, 12 tackles in each of Delaware's games, completely dominating that second line for Delaware. 
Yeah, and uh, 11 or 12 weeks ago, we talked, you know, in the pregame show before the first game. We said, who on this defense is going to step up for Delaware? And I think the obvious answer here is Troy Reader. As you read off his stats, they're phenomenal, and he's definitely became that defensive anchor. And, you know, when they need a big play on defense, he stepped up. And if he keeps it going, like you said, he can very well see a shot in the NFL uh, this coming spring. I, I don't have much to say about this because this has been a defense that has lived and died by the linebacker core. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that Adderley and the team back there has not done a great job because they have. But teams are running at Delaware. Their team's first options are not let's throw against Delaware. Let's let's run against Delaware. And we saw it against Towson. We saw it with Stony Brook teams with and Elon too. Teams with above average run games are going to run regardless of what you think Delaware can do. And Reader, Bell, even Ray Jones when he floated into that position for a little bit, they played above expectations. They're doing great there, and they're going to need it deep. Hopefully, again, deep into the postseason. And they're going to be tested this weekend. Aaron Forbes comes in as the fifth-ranked rusher in the CAA. Last year on just 13 carries, Forbes put 140 rushing yards on Delaware. It was the most they had given up in the calendar year until Donald Leotine had 170 for Stony Brook last weekend. And real quick before we go to break, our final big fact. This stood out to me. Delaware this season struggling to get to the passer Along that defensive line, just 13 tackles this season, which is 11th in the CAA. That's actually where they finished last season in the CAA as well, when you had Bilal Nichols, who's obviously playing with the Chicago Bears this year, and Blaine Woodson, who had roster invites. Uh, But that season, they had 18 sacks. So unless they get five sacks this Mm -hmm. weekend, they'll be a little bit off that sack total. A line that was not the best at getting to the quarterback a season ago has only taken a step back. Yeah, I don't think there's really much to say here besides... They just got to, you know, do better creating pressure. And, you know, whether at least the sacks or not is one thing. I think they just leave, definitely have to create more pressure and, and and that leads to more completions and hopefully turnovers for the opposing team. So I think they just definitely got to create more pressure moving forward. I think the problem is that we're almost not even relying on pressuring. Because I said they're beating the run so well. Who cares if you hit the quarterback? That's it. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Another Blue Hens team that is looking to get a little bit further into the playoffs and the postseason than it has in recent years is Martin Inglesby's men's basketball squad off to a good start 2-1 and one this season. They lost two Tuesdays ago against Maryland but had a nice comeback in the second half. Then they take a close win against St. Peter's and dominate Chestnut Hill College on Tuesday. Jake, you were with Parker Kerrigan on the call for WVUD Tuesday, so we'll start there. A 100-62 victory, albeit against the Division II Chestnut Hill College. Didn't show a lot of resistance, but a good game overall for Delaware. They looked really good yesterday, uh, a few days ago when they played again against the Division II opponent. But if this is even a sample of what the Blue Hens are able to do, and I'm probably just saying this because Darian Bryant was the leading scorer for so long for the Blue Hens, that it just feels like this team is different because... With all due respect, you don't have a four-man offense and a five-man defense anymore. Darian Bryant's ability to score showed. He shot well from three. His drives were nice. That's kind of the big, my biggest takeaway is that Darian Bryant might have just, not saying he's back, but he might have found his footing. He had a good game. The team shot very well from three. All uh, Three of the four true freshmen got out on the court um, for a nice chunk of time, especially Horton. Um, led most of the point guard duties because they gave Kevin Anderson a nice chunk of rest because the game was um, 30 to 40 point lead back and forth in the second. So I, I liked how they played, thought they played really good, and uh, we'll see how they do against Cornell. Yeah, I think the three-point shooting was really encouraging 
that's something that if you get those looks, if you're making them, hopefully it's something that can carry into games against greater opponents, right? Maybe Darian Bryan isn't going to be driving against CAA opponents, but if he can open threes that are provided to him by Kevin Anderson or Eric Carter passing out of the post, that I think could be very useful for Delaware. And it wasn't just Bryant. You see Jacob Cushing come off the bench with the second most points in his career, 13. You mentioned Ithiel Horton. He got a lot of run, as did the freshman Matt Verretto. He's the next guy I want to ask you about. Um, I joked to you during the game that he looks looking pretty slow. There was an up-and-down portion at the beginning of the first half yeah. where both teams were just running back and forth. And poor Matt Verretto, I mean, he's doing everything he can. He was hustling, but he's just not a quick guy. Um, but he's getting a lot of action, in especially games two and three, and putting up some points. A little bit of a stretch four, put the ball on the floor a little bit against Chestnut Hill College. But it looks like another useful freshman with Horton that's going to see a lot of action this season. He looked good as that four position. Yeah. Um, they when they they played him as a five for probably five minutes in the second half. Not a long time, but that's not his position. Um, they actually played Jacob Cushing at the five for five six minutes. I really like that look. First half, that, five, that first run half, in the yeah. first. Yeah, that's when they started to pull away. That little I five man. I really like that five man rotation to them because. Chestnut Hill did not have a big presence like a Bruno Fernando or a Jalen Smith like Maryland put out. Yeah. But for him to just be able to facilitate and then step out to the three-point line and clear the entire paint, because you had four drivers on that court. And everybody was playing outside the three-point line yeah. offensively. If you get the ball and you have a look, out. just drive it in. No no one's standing in the middle. Uh, but Matt Ferretto, he did a lot better at the five with Eric Carter. Uh, a lot better at the four with Eric Carter at the five. And I think especially his shooting this game – um, I don't know how far he was uh, on the bench, but I think it moved him up a few seats. Um, he he might he's probably going to be like the top guy. Like, yeah, I don't second, know how far second he, half, down he, he was. He was the first guy off the bench against St. Peter's. I watched that game Saturday afternoon. He played all of the the second half of the second half, right? The last like ten yeah. minutes, and he played all of overtime as the four, and he was six of ten from the field, double digit point scorer, and that was a game that. St. Peter's tied with free throws at the end of regulation to send it to overtime, and he was the guy who was trusted as the fourth man. Against Maryland, that was Ithiel Horton, but against St. Peter's, and for chunks of the first half and the beginning of the second half against Chestnut Hill College, it was Veretto playing with the other four starters. Yeah, Veretto ended with 24 minutes, so if we take the top five players, it would be Darian Bryant, uh, Ryan Johnson, Ithiel Horton, Matt Veretto, and Eric Carter tied with Kevin Anderson for minutes, so... If you take it just like that, he's the five, he's the five or the six man, um, depending on how you want to put it with the starters. Maybe. Colin Goss, nineteen minutes, meh. I thought he did okay for his task. Um, for the most part, he was just the off pace kind of a, a more upgraded Sky Johnson. Sky Johnson was the he off pace well. role. Yeah, he shot well. Um, he was the off pace role for Eric Carter, but I think overall this game. Take it how you want it against a D2 team, but it was a good step forward. Goss also shot well against St. Peter's. He came yeah, out and hit saw that. three threes in the first half. Didn't really do as much in the second half, and part of that's because Varetto got more of the minutes as the four next to Carter in that game. And I, I wrote this in my story for the review. Even though he's the tallest guy on the team, he's definitely leaner than Carter. So Goss really is still a four when they like when he starts next to Carter, he's really the four, and Carter's still the five. Yeah. And then they will put him in 
to some rotation lineups as the five, but he's still playing as a like stretch five, a smaller five. So he's gonna the the challenge for him is can he hold up defensively against some of the bigger guys in the CAA? Can he hold up against Nathan Knight from William and Mary? I don't think so, based on what we saw against Maryland, but against teams like Chestnut Hill College who don't have that strong interior presence. I think guys like Goss, guys like Ferretto, guys like Cushing could really shine on this Delaware team that's probably going to play a little bit smaller and want to shoot the ball, run the floor a little bit more than other teams will. Tonight, they match up against Cornell on the road, a 7 o'clock start time. You know, Obviously, these games in non-conference play, we don't always know the opponent as much. They don't really matter for much more than the team trying to find their footing. But is there anything that you'd be looking for in tonight's matchup? More Davis Long. Dude was electric. <laughs> I mean, he came off the bench. He's had a lot of bad turnovers. I mean, it says two on the stat sheet, but I would credit him. It, he was a little, three or four. a little uncomfortable. He was, he was rookie in it out there. But he was electric. I love when he got the ball because his first notion, no matter where he was on the court, if he got it behind half court, was look at the hoop. Like, he just wants to shoot and wants to score. He had a couple threes, too. Yeah, he had two threes. He shot perfect from the three. Um, but not necessarily to say in all seriousness, but in all seriousness, I want to, them to put Jacob Cushing at the five. I want to see that rotation, that four, that five-man uh, so three-point spread. Cushing, Johnson, Bryant, Anderson, Anderson, Horton. And, and Horton. Yeah, I want to see that as the five-man and let the back and forth that Anderson and Carter have nailed down. They were very good with that inside-out ball movement. If they iron that down with Cushing, Cushing obviously won't be as dominant down low as Eric Carter is, but you have a lot more room to swing it out, and then Cushing can even cut out for the three. So I want to see it, see how it works against a lower team uh, before we break it out against the CAA opponents. Should mention too, Kevin Anderson, the beginning of the second half was electric fire. He had four points in the first half. He scored, I think, seven or eight in the span of like four or five minutes in the second half before they sat him out for the rest of the game. He had 25, a career high, against St. Peter's last Saturday. So if there's any questions about whether he's back, I think he's back. Yep. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Pleased to welcome in our WVD sports companion, compadre, broadcaster, extraordinaire Nick DeLaglio, joining us to talk a little NBA and carrying on with us throughout the rest of the show. Nick? Jake said it as you walked into the studio, a little bit damp. How are you holding up on this snow day? I'm doing just all right. You know, I have a lot of jackets, got my boots on, so, you know, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. It's for the love of the cage. You got to make the trick whenever. For the love of the cage. I like that. Um, let, let's just get into it. Jimmy Butler traded to the Philadelphia 76ers from the Minnesota Timberwolves a couple of days ago. In exchange, the Timberwolves acquire Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a second-round pick. The Sixers also get back Justin Patton. In the deal, Butler made his Philadelphia 76ers debut a night of go, but starting just with the trade, generally speaking, your overall reaction, starting first with Nick, then we'll go to Jake on the acquisition of Jimmy Butler by the Philadelphia 76ers. My initial thoughts were, uh, well, some of my fr- friends are Philly fans, actually, so they were going ballistic when uh, it happened, and I, I thought about it, I said, it's clearly a win-now move from the Sixers, but honestly, I, I don't love that, I mean, I'm not a Sixers fan, but... um. I went to the game actually on Friday night. I don't love that they gave up Covington and Sarch. I mean, those are two key uh, role players on the team, and uh, Sarch actually started for them. I think Covington did too, right? Yep. So you give away two stars, but you get an all-star caliber player in Jimmy Butler. Um, obviously, if he resigns, and I think the trade was definitely worth it from the Sixers' standpoint, but 
As of now, I don't I don't know how I really feel about it. I just think I think both sides definitely got something in return that they needed, especially for the Timberwolves too. But um, I don't know. I think it needs some time to evaluate it fully. I hate it. I absolutely hate the move because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid do not need Jimmy Butler. They're two of the best players in the league and two of the best uh, chemistry-wise players in the league. They've played together. They've processed from start to finish. You don't need a person with as big as a personality as Jimmy Butler, who, while regardless of talent, Jimmy Butler is a star player, putting him in this mix will lower his talent because he's going to lose shots and he's going to lose touches. And not that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid aren't okay with sharing touches. They're two personalities that are okay with the ball coming out of their hands every once in a while. They're not ball hog players, but they were so good at what they did, especially in the two-man game, especially when they can stretch it to Covington in the corner and run a little three-man game. It's just a real big wrench in the operation. Can it work? Sure. Will it work? Probably. But right now, I just didn't see any benefit from the 76ers side of that trade. I'm a fan of this move because in the current structure of this team, I don't think the Philadelphia 76ers were going to be able to beat Boston or Toronto in a best-of-seven series. And that's what this is all about, right? It's going to take some time in the regular season for all three of these guys to figure out how they best fit together and how they should work together. But they have now 60-plus games to do that leading into the playoffs, which is where this really matters. And I think with this current team having three of the arguably the top 20 players in basketball, maybe top 25, depending on how you feel about Ben Simmons, only one other team can say that. And that team's out west in the Golden State Warriors. So I think it gives you a chance. This is a star-driven league. It hurts the depth of this team, absolutely. And it's probably going to be a little bit of a clunky fit at first. But Butler brings you a guy who can put the ball on the floor and go try to grab a bucket at the end of the game. And the Sixers did not have a guy of that nature. Joel Embiid is very turnover prone. He's not the guy that you want to just give the ball to and get out of the way of when you need just one basket at the end of the game. Or maybe you want a guy to go to the line. Ben Simmons can't do that because he can't score from all three levels. He can't score from the outside at this point in his career. Jimmy Butler is a guy who can score from three, can score in the mid-range, and he can get to the basket. And I think that's something that this team needs. While you lose a really strong defender in Robert Covington, I think Jimmy Butler replaces that and brings a little bit more on the wing. Dario Saric, you're probably going to get worse at the four spot. But I think the fit with Saric and Embiid was already a little bit clunky, and it was going to be difficult long-term to keep Saric once his deal expired alongside Embiid and alongside Simmons. So I think it's a risk. I think it will take time to work together, and we'll talk about the game against the Magic last night that they lost. But overall, I'm a fan of this move for the Sixers. And I think this definitely puts them in position. I think the East is theirs, honestly, now. Um, the Celtics, Spicy take. The, spell, the Celtics haven't been the Celtics thus far. I mean, I haven't really caught much of their games, but I haven't really heard a lot of noise from them. And, I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a freak out there in Toronto, but then again, how do the Raptors fair in the playoffs every year. So I think it's the Sixers. I There's think another the, freak that you missed in Well, I did, miss the, I did miss the Greek freak as well. They've been playing really well. So I think the Sixers just comes down. Can they get like another veteran guy maybe in free, and, um, just they could sign or something like that to come along and help this team? But I think this is their, their conference to lose now. Yeah. Eh, whatever. On to the next one. <laughs> well, I, I, like, I like what Nick said there too. I think this team's not done. I think they've committed to... Winning now, still this is a team that can win in the future, mm-hmm. but 
the goal is to go and try to win now. And to do that, they might want to grab another guy if they could get a stretch four. That's probably what they need, but mm-hmm. everybody wants those guys. So I don't know if they'll be able to get a three and D stretch four. Maybe that becomes Wilson Chandler as he works his way back from injury. Had a really nice game last night against the Magic, but was still on that minutes restriction. So he didn't play down the stretch when Philadelphia probably needed him most. Um, but I do like the idea of some of these teams too, where Yes, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons will be the core of this team for a long time moving forward. But you don't really know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. And I compare it to what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles right now, where last year when Carson Wentz gets injured, it would have been easy to say, this core is going to be together. Carson Wentz is in his second season. He's playing like an MVP. This season, it's unfortunate that it's over, but don't worry about it. You'll have him next year. And uh, it's different sports, different circumstances. This Eagles are done this year. They're toast, <laughs> right? And it's the same core as it was last year. So you don't know what's going to happen down the road. They 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 swing for the fences here with the Butler trade, and we'll see how it how it works out. But I like the aggressiveness because, sure, Ben Simmons and Embiid could be the core for the next ten years, or with the luck of this team, they could both be injured in next mm-hmm. year, and this team would be back to the bottom of the East trying to draft R.J. Barrett or Zion Williamson. <laughs> And let's go to the other big topic in the NBA right now, and that's the Golden State Warriors. Uh, A night or two ago, I guess it was now, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green have their kind of feud on the court at the end of that game. He says this, he says that. We kind of get a general sense of what's going on here. There's a little bit of internal grumblings about Kevin Durant's impending free agency, and that boils over in this game for the Golden State Warriors. Today, Draymond Green addressed the media saying that He's talked about it. He supports you know, what's going to be good for his teammates moving forward. He said if if KD, if Clay, if anybody makes a decision to move on and go somewhere else, we respect that. We're trying to do the best we can this season and win basketball games. But guys got to look out for what their careers, what's in the best interest of their careers. What do you make of all this situation? Do you think it has any impact on the Warriors long term? Is Kevin Durant going to be in a Warriors jersey long term? What are your reactions and your thoughts to this Warriors situation? This isn't about Kevin Durant wearing a Warriors jersey. This is Draymond Green wearing a Warriors jersey. It's a three-man band, and Draymond Green's on the outside looking in. Say what you want. Steph Curry's the heart and soul of the Golden State Warriors. He's not leaving. Klay Thompson, he said it. He's never leaving. It's dumb for him to leave. There's literally no reason for him to go on a different team. He gets the touches, and he scores, and he has Steph Curry next to him. Kevin Durant... He likes it. He's probably, he might move for more money, but as of now, he likes it. Draymond Green fits that team, but he's the one to go. It's not going to be any of the three of them. So everybody's saying this is creating the rift between KD and Golden State. No, this is creating the rift between Draymond Green and KD with Golden State. So it's it'll make them argue for a few more games. They're going to brush it off. Winning cures all. Later this week, later in the week after that, once they pick up five or six more wins, they're going to be like, all right, we're winning. It doesn't matter anymore. But later in the year, when contracts start getting talked about, Draymond Green's going to be the one to go. Whether he likes it or not, Steve Kerr and the ownership are going to be ready to pull Draymond Green before they send anyone else in the Golden State Warriors packing. Let me just say, this is the first year that I'm an optimistic Knicks fan. And I don't know, this part of this, the hearing about this has made music to my ears. I know that KD coming to the Knicks would be very, KD's very, not, very slim. I would like it as much as you do, it's but very, KD's not It's very, very slim, but I, I don't There's know. There's a chance. There's so. still a chance, and I think he's number—I think behind the Warriors and Lakers, I think they're the third team in that 
short list of teams that he would go to. I think to. they might even be above the Lakers. I, 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 I don't know. KD wants to be the guy. We get it. He's second best player in basketball, second best scorer in basketball. What do the Knicks have to show him? A Porzingis that's going to play 20 at max games? Well, that, he's not going to play any this but, year, I don't think. But it would be it would be to be the guy. Yeah, that's the reason the guy to leave with a young core. They're the youngest team in the league now. and lose bunch of games until Alonzo he, Trier gets to. The argument would be he could prove yes. I am going to carry a yes. team to an NBA Finals with me, myself, and I. Sure, we're going to have some complimentary pieces. We'll have KP. Maybe we have a high draft pick that we even either mm-hmm. use this year or we trade it for another piece in the off season. But that would be the argument for going to the Clippers or going to the Knicks is to to lead a team himself. Um, and I think when we talk about the Lakers in this, and again, for those who don't know, Kevin Durant right now is on the back end of a, or is on a one plus one deal. So a one-year deal with a player option. So likely he's going to become a free agent, at least test the waters this offseason. He has not committed to Golden State long-term, not because Golden State doesn't want him long-term, but because he chose to take what LeBron James did for many seasons and take a one-plus-one contract. I think the Lakers are behind the Knicks because with the Lakers, you're absolutely Mm -hmm. not the number one guy. And you would be seen as jumping to not quite as good a core as Golden State has, but it'd be a similar move to what people criticized him for at length when he left Oklahoma City to go to Golden State. I just think it's a very interesting situation. I think there's a like a, I think people are doubting as much of the opportunity or chance that he comes to the Knicks. I mean, I don't want to say there's a good chance, but I think there's still a slight chance and you know, I'll keep the optimism with me moving forward. I think of the four Warriors, Jake, you said that you think Draymond Green is the most likely to go. I agree that of the four, I think he's taken a step back in his play and he's the least valuable to the team, but I think the two that are more likely to leave are Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson. Green has one more year left on his deal. I don't think he has interest in playing elsewhere, and I don't think Golden State has interest in getting rid of any of the four. I think if somebody leaves, it's because they want greener pastures elsewhere. They want more of a piece of the pie if you're Katie or if you're Clay. Now, Clay has said he wants to be with Golden State long-term, and I, I believe him at his word. I think he does. There's a potential that he'd leave. I think KD's the most likely to leave, at least of the guys to leave on their own terms. If you look at the landscape as a whole, and I was listening to Colin Coward kind of go over this, and he put it best that Golden State needs Steph Curry. Golden State needs Klay Thompson. Mm -hmm. Golden State needs Kevin Durant. But Golden State does not need Draymond Green. And they're going to make that very apparent in the most Steve Kerr nice way he possibly can. Steve Kerr's not going to say, I don't need you. Get out of my office. But there will be conversations. And there will probably come to a point where the Golden State Warriors have to make a decision. Is it Draymond Green or maybe KD? Well, I won't even say indefinitely KD and maybe KD. And they're going to go KD 10 out of 10 times. So I'm, I think Draymond Green's going to have a huge open door that says there you can go to leave and a really small door to get back into the Golden State system. I don't think he's going to take it. Like, it's Draymond Green. He can't carry a team by himself. He's a supporting cast defensive player. But he's just going to go. If There's no point. 
If KD leaves in free agency, you think that what do you think happens to Draymond? If then? KD announces long before they start conversation with Draymond Green about bringing him back to the team Please. that KD's out of here, then they can keep Draymond Green. Then there's yeah. there's no push comes to shove. They have an open spot and they have a money. Might as well sign him. Mm-hmm. Not gonna let a good player like yeah. that walk. But if it's between him and Kevin Durant, we'll let everyone figure yeah. out who they want to pick. The last thing we should touch on while we're talking basketball right now, Nick, you mentioned as you came in this news it's big because it's a guy who's been around the league and Carmelo Anthony and is perhaps a future Hall of Famer though the significance on the actual play itself uh, is not huge but the struggling Houston Rockets who do match up tonight against the Golden State Warriors uh, are likely and you now say have parted mm-hmm. ways with Carmelo Anthony yeah and uh, me being a longtime Knicks fan is it's really upsetting to see because as Jake said during the uh, break that he just has to retire at this point because now all the slander he's getting and all the hate he's oh, getting. Oh, home, it's just, Carmelo Anthony. It's not, it's not fair to him for how good of a player he was. And I think the best thing for him to do is I don't know where he'll sign next or even if he'll sign again, but I think he, I wouldn't mind him coming back to the Knicks, honestly, just for a farewell tour. I think he definitely deserves it. We're going to see Dwayne Wade get his throughout this year. So I think he definitely deserves some type of farewell tour. And I, I mean, I hope he gets it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. But I think uh, from the Rockets' side, point of view, I think it was a good move just to part ways with them he has brought perhaps the most basketball joy that i've ever experienced and take that as you will because he hasn't brought much joy in general <laughs> it doesn't say it's a little right. sad but for the sake of his own career his own legacy it was him and lebron james battling it out for who's the best player in the draft for the first eight or nine years of their careers we know lebron has taken an exponential leap up but carmelo anthony hang the shoes up. You're a Hall of Fame player. Keep it that way. The more seasons of mediocrity, the more your numbers go down, the more people forget about the great times you had in New York and uh, the Nuggets and the less time. And the more time, they're going to focus on your time with the Hawks. <laughs> the Hawks and the Rockets and all those other teams. Yeah, he should get a, get him 25, 30 shots a night with the Knicks. Yeah. That's the best. It would be the largest contribution he's ever made to the team if he gets him the number one overall pick this year. The tank is on. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. So it's simple. Name of the game right now is to rank the top 10 players in basketball. We haven't talked a whole lot of NBA, so this will give us an opportunity to sort of reset our expectations for a few of the league's top players. And as a league that is often more oriented fan-wise towards its players rather than its teams, an opportunity to check on check in on uh, the best of the best in the NBA. So the parameters we set are pretty loose for this. We are considering right now just the top 10 players in the league if you were to pick a team for a seven-game series tomorrow. Um, not not the team that you'd want five years from now, not the team that you'd want your franchise to begin with, and not necessarily you know a guy that you want over the course of an 82-game season, the guys that you want to win a championship for you tomorrow. So we're simply trying to pick the best of the best. We will start it off by going through our 10 through 6 on the list, Real quick, just maybe a couple thoughts on each player real quick, and then we'll go through one by one when we get to our five through one. We'll each give our five, four, our three, and our two, and our one, um, like we did a couple weeks ago with our top ten playmakers segment. We'll start it off with Jake. Give us your ten through six, counting down your top ten players in the NBA. Stretch the muscles here. Stretch the arms. Brace for impact. For this lovely one. Uh, my number 10 and number 9 are both Boston Celtics. My number 10 is Jason Tatum. 
My number nine is Kyrie Irving. My wow. number eight. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna, wow. hold on I'm gonna let those settle, and I'm gonna, wow. I'm I'm pulling through. Jason Tatum. I think he was the best rookie last year. I think he's about two, three months away from being the best Celtic. Like Jason Tatum's a cold-blooded killer. You saw it in the playoffs last year. He is just relentless. Hence, he's ten. Kyrie Irving still right now is number nine. Um, he has the second best handles in the NBA, so I have him up there. And the person in front of him has the best handles in the NBA. Number eight on my list, Kemba Walker. Averaging a unreal points per game total. I don't even is... know how to describe Nick's reaction <laughs> right now. I gotta leave. Kemba <laughs> Walker is averaging his best points per game this year on a Charlotte team that should not be as good or as, quote-unquote, as well as they're doing right now. Uh, number seven, we're doing seven including six or not including six? Give us your six. Okay, so number seven, the Greek freak. Giannis comes in at seven on my list. I think I have him actually a little high, um, but we're going to put Giannis at seven. I don't think we really need to say anything about him. And number six is Kawhi Leonard. We didn't. I personally didn't think he was going to be as good as he was um, in Toronto as he is going to be on San Antonio. Uh, sorry, flip-flop that. Don't think he was going to be as good as he was. as he was when he was in Toronto, but he's lived up to the hype. So I'll put my top ten. In order, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving at 9, Kemba Walker right. at 8, Greek Freak at 7, Kawhi at 6. Nick, a, ch- a chance to respond yeah. with your reactions to Tatum at 10. I, I'm a huge Duke fan, so I absolutely love Tatum. I, I, I stink that he went to the Celtics because I'm a Knicks fan, so you hate to see him play on the opposing team. But um, definitely has a great future. I think 10 is a stretch. Top 20, probably, most likely, but I think 10 was a stretch. I absolutely love him, though. Watching him in the playoffs last year was absolutely awesome, so... Um, little little questionable there. I think the Kemba Walker one is a little bit. Kemba Walker is is more questionable nasty. than Jason Tatum. Like Kemba if I were to say I'd more put, questionable than Jason Tatum, I think I'd put Jason Tatum ahead of Kemba. Kemba Walker. I don't know. Actually, it's tough, but I don't think Kemba's a top ten player in the league right now. Kemba like, all Walker due respect. is nasty. He is nasty, his but I don't. Skills, his points per game has been on a steady decline. So, sorry, steady <laughs> incline. That would be a bad I, reference. Yeah. Steady He's averaging. <laughs> He's only tw- getting worse, guys. Twenty-seven points per game on a Charlotte team, where his only job is to score, and he's doing it well. He has dropped. His shooting percentages have went up. It's Kemba Walker, man. What else do you want from him? I, Nasty handles and a killer jump shot with a good cut to the rim. It kills me that you put him over the person that I'm going to have in in that same spot. I don't know if I have him at number eight, but I know you definitely didn't put this person in there if you put Kemba in, and that's going to upset me. But. Real quick on on Jason Tatum, I just pulled up as I was doing my list. Um, Tim Bontemps, he's a national NBA reporter for the Washington Post. I pulled up his preseason list of the top 100 players in the league. For reference, Jason Tatum on his list comes in at 35, behind Blake Griffin, ahead of Chris Middleton, and Kemba Walker comes in at 26. Oh now I think Kemba Walker at 26 will be a little bit low on that list, um, but but for me, Tatum. At mm. ten, guys averaging fifteen point nine points a game this year, shooting forty percent, doesn't give you a whole lot defensively. That makes me put him in the category of Kawhi and Giannis. He is up and coming, yeah, but I don't think he's close to this it's, stratosphere yet. There's also a lot of shots to be had on that team too. Which for yeah. those who just, I forgot somebody. Oh, I missed which would have take, taken Jason Tatum out of my top ten okay. because this person probably would have came in at eight and moved everybody up. But what I digress. Maybe who'd you miss? Who'd you miss? Dame. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's go to Nick. All right. Keep keep moving. I don't here. think mine's gonna be as controversial. At ten, I have Joel Embiid, the center for the Seventy uh, Sixers. At nine, I had the same person as Jake Kyrie Irving. Gotta love him, especially Duke product. Eight, I have Russell Westbrook. 
Point guard from the OKC Thunder. Uh, average triple-double back-to-back years. At 7, I have Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if you had him at 7 or 6. And then at 6, to round mine out, I have James Harden. MVP from last year. I know some people are some people like Harden. Some people absolutely hate Harden. Um, I think he definitely deserves to be on the list, though. Spoiler alert. I don't have Russell Westbrook on I my knew list. You didn't. I knew you didn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I knew you put Kemba Walker over Russell Westbrook. I just... Hurts my feelings. I, I love Russ, but... Nah. You'd rather have Tatum than Westbrook? Westbrook? You'd rather, Westbrook. There are a lot of factors that would probably lead me to pick Tatum over Westbrook, yes. But, I mean, put him in a vacuum I, and say, who do you want? I'd take Westbrook, but with all factors... This is the vacuum. Is I'm shocked you took, you're taking Kemba Walker over Westbrook. No, I'm not. I, I take okay. Kemba over Westbrook. No, I'm saying I'm shocked you're doing oh, that. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm shocked that you're doing that. Brandon, you're 10, or 10 yeah, to 6. Yeah, I'll run through mine. I have Damian Lillard at 10. Yeah, I forgot Dame. Uh, at 9, Russell Westbrook. At 8, Joel Embiid. At 7, James Harden. And at 6, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So a lot of similar mm-hmm. names to what you guys had. I'm actually surprised on how similar the names were, but I was also talking to Nick in the side room, and I was like, Nick, there are like 7 players that we all have to Yeah. Have. It's not like yeah, the NFL me, where we can make it work. I got well, to I got the seven exactly actually, yeah. and that's when I was like, okay, now I have to think about this because like Dame versus Kemba versus Kyrie, mm-hmm. now we're in the same kind of category versus Ben Simmons. Like that's who what I was thinking of is Jimmy Butler is Paul George here um, versus like Giannis. He's in my yeah, list. Exactly. It's just a matter of is yeah. Giannis going to be over Kawhi or not, or is Giannis going to fall. Over Harden, or you not. said Tatum was a shooting guard. That threw me off. I think no, was I, wa- I wasn't. I moved oh, my list. Lost? Oh, no, okay, I moved okay. my list. The person yeah. I was talking about was Old Depot. I was thinking yeah, about putting I him moved in there. My list. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, you're listening to Blue Hen Sports Gauge on 91.3 WVUD. Nick Delaglio, Jake Lampert, Brandon Halvek. We're ranking our top ten players in the NBA. We just gave our ten through six. Now we're going to go to everyone's fifth player uh, around the circle. Then we'll go down to number one. Um, so, Nick, starting with you, who's your fifth? My number five player is Anthony Davis, the Brow. I, uh, not really a lot of discussion here. I think he's probably the best big man in the league, and uh, he, he can be on pace to be on the best big man of all time, honestly. He's just a, a freak athlete. Uh, how he could score the ball, and obviously the type of presence he is in the paint, blocking a lot of shots. I mean, he just does it all. He carries the Pelicans. I mean, he carried them to beat the um, who they the Trailblazers last year. Excuse me. So he does it all, I think. Uh, it's easy to put him here at number five. Jake? Five, name we've heard, James Harden. At five, I have Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I feel like we're going to just start exactly, repeating yeah. names. Just what yeah. the order we put him in. Yeah, four, I have Steph Curry. Uh, four, you I, have that, Steph Curry. Yeah, I don't have him at three. I have him at four. It was a li- uh, I will say, because we're going to get to Curry on my list, I have him at number three, mm-hmm. and I saw Jake's list, actually, when yeah, I used I his computer. Um, I'm glad that we here on this show appreciate Steph Curry. Like, let's make that point here in that so many people that I know, that I talk about with the NBA, who I respect their basketball opinions and who I believe are very knowledgeable about basketball, don't believe that Steph Curry is an ultimate superstar. Steph Curry, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many, has fundamentally changed the way basketball is played. He is what enabled the Golden State Warriors four years ago, or whenever it was, to play their revolutionary style of basketball that now everybody at every level is trying unsuccessfully to emulate. He's the best shooter of all time. Mm-hmm. And if they this team didn't have Kevin Durant, I still believe they would be probably the best team in the Western Conference by not nearly the same margin as they are now. 
But this is a guy who's a unanimous MVP, two-time MVP, averaged 30 points a game, can shoot over 40% from three, can shoot from every angle, can get to the basket, can distribute the ball. Not as bad a defender as people like to knock him for. And I'm glad that he comes in at lowest number four on all of our lists. Yeah, here. and it wasn't I, – I had one flip-flop, but um, if they didn't have Durant, he could still be racking up MVPs too, like what you said. So I, he definitely deserves it, and well-deserved from him. It's the, the public perception it creates switch so rapidly mm-hmm. – Everybody loved this guy in that MVP season. And all of a sudden now he's like public enemy, probably number two behind his teammate, yeah. Kevin Durant. When you single-handedly dismantle the most prominent position in basketball history and render it 100% useless, you better be pretty damn good at the sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Steph Curry took everyone who wanted to be a center in the NBA and told him change your position. Because right. You if you want yeah, to play on my court, you have you to don't shoot need a center from, anymore. You, need, you, better, you have to shoot from 30, 30 feet out. Not only shoot from thirty feet out, but you got to guard from thirty feet out. Because off a switch, yeah, if you're on Steph over. Curry, just wave the right white flag. It's not even worth it. So number four, Nick has Steph Curry. Yep. Back to our list, Jake. Number four, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, who was at number five on um, next list. I also have Anthony Davis at number four on my list. On my list, I mentioned it before, Steph Curry comes in at number three. Nick at number three. For three, this might have been a little high, but I have the Greek freak at three, and I just think he's so good, and he can do absolutely everything, and I think he, I think he's due to win an MVP in these next two or three years. It's just, high, but it's not uncharacteristically no, yeah. high. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, looking at Eastern Conference MVP, obviously it's extremely early, but what do you think of Giannis's chances? Who else is in the running from your list? Just Eastern Conference, or you think like in— I guess MVP as a whole. Yeah, MVP as a whole. I, I guess, think, I, yeah. yeah, I was having this conversation earlier. Is he the best player in the Eastern Conference? Is it Kawhi? Is uh, it Joel Embiid? Right now, I'd give him the best player in the Eastern Conference. I think Kawhi is right up there as a close second, and then I think Embiid is there as well. But I think right now, the East, he's the best player in the East. Yeah, so I'm three? Yeah, My yeah number you're three. number three. Kevin Durant. Uh, it's KD. Second best scorer in the NBA. On the list of best scorers ever, period. Yeah, I think top... 20 top 15 player of all time. I'm not ready to say it yet, but I'm going to say it soon. Yeah, I think definitely top 20. And uh, did you do your number? Number two for me is Kevin Durant. Okay, yeah, number two for me is Kevin Durant as well. And my two, Steph. Oh, okay. That's right. So talk, talk about Steph over Kevin Durant. What led to that decision? Steph is the greatest shooter ever. And when you... And the way I actually put Steph over KD is I watched how defenses react. Because people still try to guard KD. (laughs) It might not be feasible, but people are still stepping up to guard KD. No one guards Steph. If he gets a step on you, if he blinks and you're not there, wave the white flag and walk away. Like how many times did we see last year when Golden State played the Indiana Pacers and Victor Oladipo was stepped up guarding Steph Curry? And after one step, Oladipo quit. That's a top-tier defender in Victor Oladipo who just quit guarding Steph Curry. He's unguardable. So is Kevin Durant, but at least they try. (laughs) At number one, from from the Los Angeles Lakers, we all have LeBron James. It's extremely impressive what this guy's able to do year after year. He's still at about his career averages, about 26 points a game right now. A little over seven rebounds and assists per game. Last night, 40-plus points, 10 rebounds, nine assists. It was almost the highest point total in a triple-double ever. And he's playing with 
maybe a better supporting cast than he had last year, but not nearly the supporting cast he had in his years at Miami or when he had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love with him in Cleveland. Anybody else with anything to add about, in my opinion, the greatest player of all time, LeBron James? You, there is a formula on ESPN, and I really want to figure out how it works, but what it does is it takes almost every advanced metric in NBA statistical guidelines, Mm -hmm. smashes it all together, and pops out what they call like the golden rating. Whoever has the highest is the best player. The past eight years, it has been LeBron James, and it hasn't been close. <laughs> this guy's done it for eight years. He'll do it if his body allows it. He, yeah. He'll do it another twenty-five years. Yeah. He's just he's an, he's a freak. Brandon, I agree, best player yeah. ever. No, I definitely agree too. I think LeBron over Jordan, but um, and he's fifth on all-time scoring list now, and he's only going to keep going he's up from there. Fourth. He's definitely yeah, he's definitely going to creep up, and uh, and he's yeah. not even close to being done. No, he's no. not. I know. I if I would to I don't know LeBron James, I don't know your body, whatever. I'd say five to six is a reasonable. I like assessment. five. To me, it comes to just how long he wants to. Like yeah. I don't yeah. think his body's going to give up on him. I think that there's is a machine. Right there, <laughs> there is a a world where LeBron James is forty, forty one years old and playing stretch four minutes. I mean, Vince Carter doing yeah. it. Like and still getting up and scoring fifteen points a game for somebody as the third guy. Like that is a world that. Is possible. Does he want to do that? Yeah. Will he ever want to not be the top guy on a team? I don't know. Maybe he just decides, I've done enough. I've made my case. I'm going to rest now. Uh, if at the end of this Lakers run he gets a championship or he gets close, he might just say, you yeah. know what, I I did it. I, I brought a championship everywhere I've gone. But if he wants to, I don't see anything that stops him from contributing in like you said, maybe the way that Vince Carter, better than Vince Carter, mm-hmm. is doing right now. No, yeah, I think he, I think he definitely finishes out his stint with the Lakers, and then maybe he signs like a one or two year deal. Maybe even goes back to the Cavs just to retire with them. But I just don't see him in my eyes as him wanting to be that third option on a team. So I think for that reason, he probably would probably and retire sooner than later. So let's before we go to break, run through our list one more time. For me, at number one, LeBron James. Number two, Kevin Durant. Number three, Steph Curry. At four, Anthony Davis. At five, Kawhi Leonard. At six, Giannis Antetokounmpo. At seven, the reigning MVP, James Harden. At eight, Joel the Process Embiid. At nine, Russell Westbrook. And at ten, Damian Lillard. For me, number one, I had LeBron James. Two, Kevin Durant. Three, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Four, Steph Curry. Five, Anthony Davis. Six, James Harden. Seven, Kawhi Leonard. Eight, Russell Westbrook, nine, Kyrie Irving, and Joel Embiid closing it out at 10. LeBron James at one, Steph at two, KD at three, AD at four, Harden at five, Kawhi at six, Greek Freak seven, Cardiac Kemba at eight, Kyrie Irving at nine, and my boy Jason Tatum at 10. 